Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. Amen. So our text this morning is, Surely the goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Isn't that a wonderful promise? God's mercy and love is going to follow us all the days of our life. This story had to have happened a few years ago because we wouldn't do this today. I think most of us wouldn't do it today. A little boy was in kindergarten and he wanted to walk himself to school. And so his mom was trying to accommodate this, but she was worried about him. So today we wouldn't do that. We would drive him. We would make sure we would insist on walking him. So he wanted to walk because he was big now, right, in kindergarten. So he started walking to school and his mom was worried. So she came up with a plan with her neighbor, Shirley, who had a little, little girl. And Shirley said, I'll tell you what, he won't know. We'll stay back behind him a ways and we'll follow him and make sure he gets to school on time and safely. So that's what happened. Shirley would take her little girl and her name was Marcy and they'd hold their hands and they were standing back a ways. So that first week of school went by and it went well, but uh, the little boy Timmy was walking with his little best friend who was another little girl in the class and she said to him, why does that lady follow us? She's been following us all week long. And Timmy says, well, I know why she's following us, because every night my mom reads Psalms 23 to me, and it says, surely goodness, and her last name was Goodnest, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. So the little friend looked at him kind of confused, and uh, he said, I guess I'm going to have to get used to it. So kids, they often don't quite hear it just right, right? That's a famous text, but he didn't hear it quite right. And we have to chuckle at their interpretations, right? But we know that God's goodness and his mercy does follow us. When we're walking with Jesus, he is there with us too, right? Trusting him all the days of our life. Psalm 23 is what we're going to look at today. And that's the closing piece of Psalm 23. That surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Psalm 23 is read at more funerals. It's cited in times of distress. It's in... Um, Wall art, prisoners recite it, soldiers recite it, it's read to the sick. There are all kinds of songs on Psalm 23, right? Remember Todd Beamer, he was on Flight 93 with 9-11. His last conversation with an airphone supervisor was Psalm 23. He had that, they read that together, said that together. And President George W. Bush, he read portions of Psalm 23 right after 9-11. The point is that this is a really important text. It's, it's used so much in so many ways. At one point, Protestant churches, when they ordained their pastors, would have all the ministers have a thorough knowledge of, of all the Psalms, which isn't the case today. So I could go on and on with examples of how much we treasure Psalm 23. It's memorized and it's recognized by almost everyone, whether they go to church or not, right? So Psalm 23 must be important. It's this beautiful proclamation, so we're going to look at it. But before we go straight into Psalm 23, we kind of need to set the stage and kind of look at the big picture of it, because Psalm 23 isn't a standalone piece. So first of all, I want to look at the book of Psalms. And I think I can, yeah, I can see what you guys see. So Psalms is divided into five books. They have five sections, and those are the five right there. The Jewish community explains that these five divisions in their book are called the Midrash. 
which they say, as Moses gave five books of law to Israel, David gave five books of Psalms to Israel. So it's known, these five books are well known to the Jewish folks. Now, within those five books, there's a doxology for each of them. These are the doxologies. The ending of each of those sections has a doxology. Another interesting thing about Psalms, there are duplicates. So Psalms 14 is the same as Psalm 53, and you can see the other examples. It's interesting how these Psalms were composed and placed together. So people who have studied the Psalms and have looked at them and how they're all arranged came up with this really complicated way of saying something. So this is what they said. Those who study the arrangement of the Psalms conclude that it was deliberately planned with theological and historical context in mind. Well, I think that's a compli complicated way to say this. What the Bible already said is that all scripture was given by the inspiration of God. It's not an accident how the Psalms were laid out. And we're going to look at this. So theologians also say that they are inspired confessions, the Psalms, and they are complaints, and they are praises, and they are prayers, and they are thanksgiving. And what I love about that, it gives you permission to express the feelings that you already have, that God already knows. You can say them out loud, right? That was one of the beautiful things that came out of the Psalms, I think. So that's a really short introduction to all of the Psalms, but we're going to go look at Psalm 23, but I said it's not a standalone Psalm. So it's placed between 22 and 24, obviously, but it comes with that set, 22, 23, and 24. Psalm 22 is considered a messianic prophetic Psalm. So we know that David, he was a shepherd boy. We know that, right? And we know he was a military leader. We know he was a king and a poet and a musician and a writer, but he was also a prophet. So the truth is the Psalms are filled with lots of messianic prophecies. And Psalm two is the first one in the book of Psalms that starts off with those messianic prophecies. But Psalm 22, which comes right before 23, was also prophetic about the Messiah. So I want to glance at these really quickly. I don't want to go through all of it, so I just highlighted some of them to show you how it's prophetic. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you ever heard that before? And then my words of my groaning, and if you go down, all of my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. Here's some other examples of Psalm 22. You've brought me to the dust of the death, and then 16, for the dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. Look at 17. I can count all my bones. They look and they stare at me. They divide my garments among them and my clothing. They cast lots. And at the end there it says, help me, right? Verse 20 of Psalm 22 says, Deliver me from the sword. And then going down to 24, but when he cried to him, he heard. And then 29 at the last verse, last line, shall bow before him. If you want to go through it in more depth, you can read Psalm 22. But those are some highlights that illustrate how prophetic it was. So 22 comes before 23. So then comes 24, 23 and then 24. So I want to look at this really quickly. Excuse me. <coughs> 22 is about the good shepherd who gave up his life for his sheep and it prophesizes in detail 
about the Lord's death, which we just saw. Then 23 comes. It's the great shepherd in resurrection power that leads his flock today. It's present day. And then 24 is all about that chief shepherd returning in great glory. So I'm going to look at 24 just like 22 before we hit 23. So verse 3, if you look at it and glance at it, it says, Who may send into the hill of the Lord or who may stand in his holy place? Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors. The king of glory shall come in. So you can tell it's talking about the Lord's return, the great shepherd coming back. And then verse 8 and 9 is another example. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up your everlasting doors. The king of glory shall come in. It's a quick, quick look at 24, but 23 is in the middle of these two. So to recap, quick, it is the good shepherd who gave up his life, and it talks about it in detail, Psalm 22. 23 is present day. It's the shepherd leading us right here in resurrection power. And 24, it's the great shepherd returning to take us home. It's a beautiful way to set these precious scriptures all up together. I'll never forget, I went out to visit um, a family in um, their home. They were homebound. I guess this is working. You can hear me. It's going out under my chin, though. So I was out visiting them, and when I go visit, you know, folks in their homes, I like to read some scriptures, and there's some favorite ones I like to read, including Psalm 23. So I said to the lady, she's homebound, I said, could I read to you Psalm 23? She said to me, I am not on my deathbed. And so I started laughing, chuckling with her. I said, I know you're not dying, but Psalm 23 is really good even for now. This isn't just for funerals. I said, I promise you'll be encouraged if I read you Psalm 23. So I read her Psalm 23, and she smiled at the end, and she said Psalm 23 was really good. Psalm 23 is very good, and it's not just for funerals. It's for today. It's present day. It's what the Lord has promised to us, his goodness and his mercy, and we're going to look at that now, okay? So Psalm 23, we're going to go through the verses. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Isn't that beautiful? And what a metaphor to open up with. This analogy dominates the first four verses of Psalm 23. We are the Lord's people of his pasture and the flock under his care. When you look at a herd of sheep, now, after before I did this sermon and prepared for it, this is how I used to look at the flock, but now I know that there's a difference. I would look and just see a herd of sheep. But when the shepherd looks at the sheep, he knows them because every face is special and every face has a story and every sheep has a name. And if you look at some of these pictures, you can tell. I had to look when I was reading this. Those sheep all have unique faces. And John 10, 3 says it. I don't know if you can see it, but it says the sheep hears his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. Shepherding was used in all it's throughout all the scriptures, right? And it's because 80% of Jesus' listeners made their living off of the land. So the metaphor that this, this scripture opens up with, the Lord is my shepherd, is a fantastic way for them to understand what, what is being shared here in, in the divine scriptures, right? So what about the line, I shall not want? Have you ever wanted something so badly? Because we all have had that thing we're just wishing for. 
Or are you on the other end of the spectrum and you're content and you're thankful for what God has blessed you with? When you're content in the Lord, you know what you gain? You gain this joy, you gain this faith, and you gain this peace and the assurance that everything will be taken care of. I shall not want is in that scripture because the Lord has covered it and David knew it when he wrote that. So then we go to verse 2. He makes me to lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside the still waters. So a good shepherd would regularly lead his sheep to what? The green pastures, which underscores the story of David's life where the Lord took care of him both physically and spiritually. But God meets the needs of each one of us as well. And in the process of taking care of us, he leads us to the greenest pastures. And what about the still waters? Well, you know, they say sheep aren't that smart. Have you ever heard anyone say that? They aren't that sharp, that smart. So they will wander into running creeks where they're not supposed to go. And if that wool that they have is really heavy, they can drown. But a good shepherd will lead them to the calm waters, right? And when they go to the waters, it's a place to cleanse those wounds, and the shepherd checks them to clean out any dirty spots and, and wounds for soil. You know, I had... Um, this, this scripture reminds me of a story that had happened to me. Um, I had received some really hard news. It was discouraging. I was really down about it. And it happened to be that our family was on a small vacation over on the Gulf Coast. And you know the Gulf Coast is considered the calm coast versus the Atlantic, right, of Florida? So I got this call, and I received this news, and it was really kind of heartbreaking. And I remember what I did. I got my low-rise beach chair, and I just went and sat at the edge of the waves where they lapped up over me, and I probably sat there for a few hours contemplating and praying and just processing what I had heard. I needed some quiet time. See, the Lord leads us by still waters for restoration, right? Because when you're by the still waters, he will restore your soul, which takes you to Psalm 23, verse 3. It says, he restores my soul and he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. The good shepherd restores my soul. It just means to turn you back and to restore you. In the Hebrew, it can simply mean in this verb and in this tense to repent or return. But David's words are general enough to mean that the Lord restored David to his proper spiritual and physical condition by forgiving him and renewing him. And one of the best known scriptures that even that gives the great uh, pictorial visual of it is the one lost sheep who needed to repent. And right, the Savior, the shepherd, comes after that one out of the 99. When the sheep, there's a my favorite author in one of her books, um, in one of her manuscripts, says this about, about the, um, a sheep, which I didn't realize this. When a sheep strays from the fold, it can never find its way back. I didn't know that. But the shepherd must seek after the strange sheep and bring it back in his arms, rejoicing at every step that he has found that lost sheep. Don't you love it when God guides each one of us in the past that he has planned, Right? They are passive righteousness. That's the ones he plans for you, for his namesake. And I love that. 
So I'm so thankful when the Lord tells me, don't turn here, but turn here, or go straight, or wait, or stop. I'm thankful when he redirects me from something that's a temptation or a disaster, and he keeps me on the path for his name's sake. You know, the point of this whole little piece right here is that the, that the Lord, if he's leading you in an unrighteous way, it's not his way. The Lord would never lead you in an unrighteous way. It isn't from the Lord. So he leads in the ways that are righteous, which are the way home, because his reputation is at stake, which takes us to verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your strap, they comfort me. So this verse is the proclamation of God's care and protection of his flock, right? So in that hill country of Judah, there were steep ravines and narrow little paths that were dangerous for the sheep. And I'm sure David's remembering this because it was home to wild beasts and robbers, and it's where he remembers his own experiences. See, sheep have no natural defense, right? They don't have the claws, they don't have horns, and they don't have fangs. They are completely helpless. So they would find themselves in those dangerous places and they would get out alive by God's grace, right? Because God was with David. And even though David had to walk in these places, he did not fear harm or evil because the good shepherd was abiding with his flock. The Lord would intervene and protect. Amen? The shepherd imagery, the shepherd imagery continues with the rod and the staff in that, in that section of verse 4. So the staff and the rod were there to not hurt the sheep, right? They were there to support and nudge and redirect and gently prod and to keep the sheep going in the right direction. But they were also, the, the rod and staff was also there to defend an assailant and smack them. David found that rod and that staff comforting because he feared no evil with that rod and staff there, right? And so now as we go into this Psalm 23, this, uh, the scene changes from the shepherding scene into the great, great banquet table by the great, great host. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and you anoint my head with oil and my cup it runneth over. So there's three sections in this verse, and I'm looking at what you're seeing right here. There's three sections, and we're going to go through each section of verse 5. So starting with, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It simply means to put the food and the drink out on the table, right? It can be literal, but it could also be spiritual. Some theologians believe this is a description of the great banquet that we're going to receive when we get to heaven when the Lord welcomes his guest. And according to the customs of the East, honored guests were always saved when they sat down to eat at someone's table. So when they sat down to eat, this was a, a, a break from if they were on the run, a break and a, a thought of comfort as they would be safe and secure. You know, I will never forget um, something that happened to me when I think of this verse you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I worked at another place I won't name, and I had someone coming in after me, and I would see them come in to talk to my boss, and I knew every single time they came in, they were trying to get me fired for things that weren't true. And first, it really broke my heart, and I was stressed out about it, but I realized this was the pattern. 
I also didn't realize that they had done this to several of my coworkers, and no one ever told me. I always thought about that when it was going on. Why didn't anyone tell me? This is, this is normal. Not really normal, but this is normal for them. So they would come in time and time again, and every time they came in, I always knew it was to try to get me in trouble with these false accusations. And so I finally, I just got used to it, and I knew nothing was coming from it because my boss didn't, you know, he, I would go ask him or he would tell me what the conversation was. So at some point while this was going on, we'd had a golf tournament, and the golf tournament was over, and the gentleman that was coming in to try to get me in trouble played in this golf tournament. And so the tournament was over, and we're at the awards meal, you know, in the, in the golf, uh, the country club there of the golf course. And I sat down at this table that was right here, and there was this other table beside me, and I saw him come in, and I saw my boss come in, and my boss sat down at this table over here. I didn't really think much about it, but then I noticed where he went and sat. He went and sat right by my boss. And I noticed where he was, because I could see him out of the peripheral of my eye. And I just had to say, let it go, because God's got me. But you know, the Lord is so good to us. He divinely orchestrates these smallest details in every situation. So I sat at this table with some of my coworkers, and it just happened that I had this empty chair right here, right beside me. And shortly after, this gentleman that's coming after me and coming after me sits down beside my boss. I can see out of the corner of my eye that my boss picks up his plate, pulls out his chair, and he walks over and he sits down right beside me. I know that was divinely orchestrated, that there be that chair open at that table. And you know, no words were ever spoken, but a message was definitely sent. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And I have to say, amen. This verse becomes alive to me when I reflect on that event. And you know what? Nothing ever came of all the accusations. It moves my heart, and I sw my heart swells because I know God was taking care of me. So in verse 6, I'm sorry, verse 5, the second section is, you anoint my head with oil. So it was the custom and it was the duty of a gracious host in that area, in that time, to have perfumed oil to freshen up with, Right? I'd like to consider uh, a comparison of it is to Bath and Body Works having some fresh scented stuff in the bathroom, the guest bathroom when you come in, right? It might have a little more meaning right here, but it's something similar because a guest was expected to provide this, this oil for them to freshen up with. It reminds you of that story in Luke 7 when the woman gives Jesus the oil on his, on his feet and Jesus reminds the host, you didn't give me water or oil. So the commentary shares that this type of anointing wasn't intended to be the same as an anointing of a king, but it was to connotate hospitality and festivity and joy and to have a sweet aroma. Hence, Bath and Body Works, right? <laughs> so what about a sheep and oil? Now, this verse isn't talking about it, the sheep, but the, the shepherd would often put oil on the head of a sheep as well. So in ancient Israel... The shepherds used this oil to repel insects and to prevent sheep conflicts and for healing of the wounds. So the thing is, bugs bug us, right? Bugs bug people, but they drive crazy and kill sheep because if a fly or a mosquito or some kind of a gnat gets in their nose 
and it hatches, it becomes this larva type of thing, and it's actual torture to a sheep, if any of you guys know about how sheep are. So once they deposit those eggs, if they're successful and they don't have that oil on them, it can drive them insane. This is agonizing annoyance, and sheep have been known to hit their heads against rocks or trees or you know poles or whatever's there until they can get that out of their nose. And some have even died shaking their head, beating it against whatever it is they're hitting it on. So the oil prevents some of those things from getting in their nose, and it can also help their wounds. So as a result, a shepherd will regularly and often daily inspect and put oil on cuts, abrasions, and their head to keep away the bugs. So sheep aren't the only ones who need preventative care or who have wounds, right? This is us. So whether your wound is physical, emotional, or spiritual, the first thing we do, and it's right here in this, the first thing we do is we go to the right person, which is the good, good shepherd. And to receive the healing, we lower our heads and we even bow down so that the Lord can put an oil on us, right? And the thing is, and this is really a beautiful piece to it, I think, the sheep don't understand the why the oil repels the flies, and the sheep don't understand how the oil heals them. In fact, the only thing that the sheep knows is that when they are in the presence of the good shepherd and that oil goes on them, something happens, right? And that's all we really need to know, too, is that we need to go and bow before the Lord. So verse uh, 5 goes to the overflowing cup, right? So in the Bible, an overflowing cup represented the portion of your life, a symbol of the portion or your lot in life, which could be good or bad. We see the cup of fury in Isaiah, or what Jesus asked the Father at the cross. So it can be a hard thing, it can be a bad thing, but it can also be a good thing, as seen right here. Is your cup running over? So I can testify in my family, God has blessed us and my cup runneth over. Even when it seems like it's a little bit dry, the cup runneth over. He has given me blessings that were just intended for me and my family, but he's given blessings that are intended just for you and your family, right? So it leads us to verse 6. We've gone through most of verse 23, um, chapter 23, but it goes to our scripture reading. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Isn't that beautiful? It starts with the word surely. So this marks a change from what's happened before and to what God is going to do when we walk with him. So it's important the words that were used in this text. The concluding words are loyal love, which is often translated to mercy. So... Mercy or loving kindness, and with the addition of goodness, with mercy, it's just a way of putting emphasis on what God's going to do all the days of David's life. And the word loyal love is a well-known covenant word that describes God's faithful love to his covenant promises that he has made to us. There is no other term that could more adequately describe the provisions the Lord's going to take care of and give to David. David had been pursued his entire life. Do you remember Saul coming after him numerous times? No man chased him more, though, than the Lord, right? The Lord was persistent and effective in pursuing him. So David declares that I am going to dwell in the house of the Lord 
forever. And this is rich right here because all the days of his life, he's going to be in the house of the Lord, which is the sanctuary, right? So Psalm 23 is actually a sanctuary psalm. And he's eager to be with that good shepherd, and he longs to be with him. David desires to follow the Lord and come into close communion with the Lord for the rest of his days. It's this beautiful, beautiful proclamation and promise. There was a dinner party going on in New York with a bunch of people, and there was this famous play actor who was invited. But there was also a pastor somehow got invited to the, the dinner party. So this famous play actor was there, and people were you know, enamored with him. And so they had him and asked him to recite different lines from famous plays he had been in, and he was doing all that. But the pastor had come to kind of maybe get a break from what had happened that week for him, and he had had a really hard week, and he needed some encouragement. And so he asked the actor, he said, would you recite Psalm 23 for me? So the actress thought for a moment, and he said, yeah, I'll, I'll recite it, but you have to recite it after me. So I'll do it, and then you do it. So the pastor said, yeah. He just needed some encouragement, right? Just a little something. So the actor, he recites Psalm 23 with all of the emphasis, and you know how you can pronounce and project, and he did it with, with you know, great acting ability. And when he got done, the whole table started clapping for him, and it was moving. But then it was time for the pastor to recite Psalm 23. So the pastor took his turn. But he didn't give it with the same emphasis that the actor did it. He did it with the meaning and the depth of what it meant to him and reflecting with the week that he had, had been through, right? And when he got done, they didn't clap and cheer. They cried. There wasn't a dry eye in the room. One of the folks leaned over to the actor and he said, why do you think? When you recited Psalm 23, we all were clapping. But when he recited Psalm 23, everyone was crying. And the actor said, well, it's really simple. I know the reason. It's because I know Psalm 23, but he knows the shepherd. Amen. When you know the shepherd, you trust him, even in a really bad week, right? You see, Psalm 23 isn't just for funerals like a lot of people think. It's for a present day. It's present tense. So when you proclaim Psalm 23, you do it with happiness and joy because you're eager to spend time with the Lord in communion with him in a good week and in a bad week. So I thought we could all say Psalm 23 together. How about that? So you say it with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And you anoint my head with oil and my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. I love Psalm 23. It's beautiful. So my invitation to you this morning is to proclaim the goodness of God and to long and to be eager and to desire to be in communion with him all the days of your life. Amen. Thank you.